When I started looking into food waste, it didn't seem nearly as controversial as previous podcast seasons that we had. And generally, yes, there is a bit more consensus, but still there is some disagreement on who is to blame. Or actually, that's not the right question. Who is supposed to be held accountable? And our today's guest, Kerry, says everybody but households should be held way more accountable. I don't think consumers are to blame for food waste. Even though households in the UK throw away 7 million tons of food waste a year, I don't think it's necessarily their fault. I'm an environmental lawyer, so I have kind of a general background in environmental law and regulation. And you know, food waste started taking off as an issue. It was getting media attention. Government was talking about it. So I started looking into it as a legal and policy problem. But actually, my journey with food waste starts, I think, like everyone else's, does. When I was at university, I was really one of those people who looked for the bargains in the supermarket with the reduced foods. I'm quite interested in the kind of law and policy that shapes my behavior as an individual. Using edible surplus food to feed hungry people is neither a solution to food waste, nor is it a solution to the reasons why people can't afford food in the first place. As we're nearing the end of the season, we look at law and regulation. Okay, 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 wait, 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 bear with me. Do not stop this podcast. This is actually quite interesting. We cover how legislature could share the responsibility for food waste to make manufacturers and retailers accountable. Honestly, if you look into any big industry of this world, it doesn't take a lot of digging to find a lot of media manipulation, greenwashing, dirty lobbying. One central issue in that is that their, the incentives are not aligned. And it's always the question of who is profiting from this, who is making money and who is actually benefiting from this. So they need to be more incentives. And sometimes legislature is the best way to change the system. This was a fun interview and we do goof around quite a bit here and there. So let's jump right in. This is Red to Green, the audiobook style podcast where food tech meets sustainability. You're listening to season four on food waste. To support our work, please subscribe and share the episodes with your colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. Hmm. In theory, if at COP26, the world leaders would get together and they would decide upon some measures and you would be the one pulling the strings in the back, being able to whisper into their ear, do this and this, and you would have two options, like what strings will you pull? What measurements should they install? First thing that I would be looking for would be some sort of legislative scheme that sought to distribute responsibility for food waste across the food supply chain that would place responsibility on all actors. We tend to have had a, a sort of end of pipe approach to food waste where we sort of just deal with it as what do we do with stuff once it becomes waste rather than trying to build prevention into our systems and something that the UK government has said that it will consult on but it's sort of gone a bit silent recently was something called extended producer responsibility and extended producer responsibility is a kind of legislative technique that 
puts responsibility on producers and retailers for the post-consumption phase of waste. So it makes retailers responsible for the waste that happens after they've sold goods. And we have extended producer responsibility for waste electronic equipment. We've got it for cars. We've got it for packaging waste. If you've ever traded in a laptop and got a credit in response for it, underpinning that's an extended producer responsibility regime. I think something for food waste would be really good for that, but there's loads of ways that it could be implemented. There's not a huge amount of research on how that would apply in the context of food. That would be one of the big things that I would like to see action on is an extended producer responsibility regime for food waste. And I guess the second action that I'd like to see would be to find ways to build food waste into how we go about producing food. There's a tendency to kind of look just at the end of the supply chain and governments have begun looking at that, but I think we need to be taking actions to tackle food waste on farms right at the beginning of the supply chain. So actions on unfairness in the supply chain, actions on cosmetic requirements, starting right at the beginning of the problem rather than just dealing with the issues at the end. But as I said, it's a wicked problem. It's a complex problem. I don't think we get anywhere just by kind of pulling one or two levers. I think you have to have a toolkit approach and there'll be a mix of policy options to tackle food waste that will be necessary. Yeah, we had this topic of extended producer responsibility come up in season two of the podcast when we were discussing plastic alternatives and making the companies more responsible for whether their products are recyclable at all and whether they get recycled. So do you have any example? Has there been any little case study or pilot of using that in the context of food and food waste? No, n nothing as far as I'm aware. So there needs to be some research on that. But I think one of the problems that we've had in the UK is that we've got a really big body of quite established generic waste law, so law and policy that applies to waste generally. And there's all sorts of reasons why that doesn't necessarily work as you might want it to in a specific context of food. And a lot of my research has been talking about the ways in which we need to treat food waste as a specific problem, the specific aspects of the food waste challenge that are particularly difficult, particularly its perishability, but also its embeddedness in a very complicated agri-food sector. So it's an early idea, but it's established for other types of waste. So it's definitely something to think about. And there is a consensus now. There's no one single actor who can take the lead on reducing food waste. We have to be enrolling everyone across the supply chain. And something like an extended producer responsibility regime might be a good way to kind of distribute that responsibility across everyone. And, you know, at COP26, which is going on right now, I was listening to, to a report yesterday of what has been going on, and there hasn't been one single mention of food waste so far at COP26. So that's a bit disconcerting. Do you have an idea why food waste is so low on the agenda? Is it not convincing enough for people outside of the food industry? Yeah, I don't think I would say it's that low on the agenda. It was notably absent in the context of COP26, but I think food is one of the really difficult things to deal with. And there's, in some ways, it's sort of easier to think about decarbonizing energy and decarbonizing transport. Decarbonizing the food system as a whole, I think is really tricky. So I think 
to not talk about food waste in COP26 is kind of a symptom of that. But outside of the context of the, the climate change negotiations in Glasgow, food waste actually is quite high on the policy agenda. People have made really clear to retailers that they're not willing to tolerate it. We've had really a lot of media attention on food waste in the last 10 years. People look at the scale of it and think of it not just as an environmental problem, but kind of a moral outrage that a third of the food that we produce doesn't get eaten, but that coexists with widespread malnutrition, hunger and food poverty. I actually think food waste is quite high on the agenda. It's been high on the EU's agenda. It's been high on the UK agenda, but there's been a reluctance to legislate. I think that's where I would say it's kind of maybe not high on the agenda, but it's definitely got a profile. The UK, rightly or wrongly, is seen as a kind of global leader on food waste. So there's quite a lot going on in Europe. And I guess that reflects the higher levels of food waste in in developed countries. And you say the UK is called a leader, rightly or wrongly. (laughs) (laughs) Please elaborate. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess that's a little bit complicated because England has done things I wouldn't necessarily want to export. So I can give you a couple examples. The first thing that we probably haven't got quite right in England is subsidising so heavily the anaerobic digestion of food waste. And this basically turns food waste into biogas and fertiliser. So it's a form of renewable energy. It's definitely a really good way to keep food waste out of landfill and reduce the climate impact of food waste. So for things like tea bags and coffee ground and banana skins, all the sort of inedible parts of food that we can't eat, we should definitely be putting into anaerobic digestion and keeping out of landfill. But part of a problem with the subsidies for anaerobic digestion is that where we've got surplus in the system, it's kind of diverted surplus food to anaerobic digestion rather than to charitable redistribution. Research I was reading this morning was saying one of the UK's biggest retailers found it cheaper to send food to anaerobic digestion rather than to donate it to a redistribution organisation so that it could be eaten rather than kind of eaten by machines. And I guess the one last example I give that shows an interesting kind of contrast between England and Scotland is in England, a lot of our policy is now trying to get away from that AD problem by putting a lot of support on charitable redistribution, which doesn't deal with the fact that we've got that waste in the first place. It's never going to be a solution to inequality and people not having enough food to eat. But we're sort of institutionalising donated food as something that forms a permanent part of our social food landscape in England. Whereas Scotland is currently consulting on policy measures that would seek to try and prevent the need for food banks altogether. So that's a kind of another way in which I think sort of things are a bit diverging between uh, the devolved nations in the UK. Using edible surplus food to feed hungry people is neither a solution to food waste, nor is it a solution to the reasons why people can't afford food in the first place. That's something that makes me a little bit nervous about the approach in England. And for listeners who are not familiar with it, can you elaborate what anaerobic digestion means? Yeah, so anaerobic digestion is a process where biomaterials like food waste are broken down in the absence of oxygen by microorganisms to produce biogas, 
which is a, a source of renewable energy. You can then go on and use it to heat homes and renewable fertilizer. So material that can be spread back on onto crops and onto surfaces. And for unavoidable food waste, the, the fractions of food that we can't eat, anaerobic digestion is a fantastic way to keep food waste out of landfill because once food waste goes to landfill it releases climate change gases when it biodegrades so we can reduce the climate impacts of food waste by diverting it from landfill to, to anaerobic digestion. So we looked a bit into the UK. Let's look a bit more into France as a case study. So in France there was a law enacted in 2016 against food waste in supermarkets that are bigger than 400 square meters and they are banned from throwing away food and they have to donate it and get a 60% tax break for the inventory value. One of the main issues is that a lot of the grocery stores send old food. So in interviews, the food banks would show, for example, a very old yellow broccoli that was clearly already far from being eatable, which would be donated and then the grocery chain still gets the tax break. Well, <laughs> obviously <laughs> these things are never perfect and yeah. every legislature has its loopholes. How do you see this law in France? Do you feel it's working? Supposedly the donations to food banks were up by 20% within three years. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing you say about the kind of food being passed by the time it gets donated, that's a real challenge with redistribution. Supermarkets want to make as much money as they can out of their produce. And so they delay donation to the last possible minute. Um, but then that gives a redistribution organization hardly any time to then do something with it. So there's an inherent tension between the goals of retailers and the goals of food redistribution bodies. The limited research that I'm aware of in France, and obviously it's still quite early days, that's quite a new piece of legislation. But so far, what I've seen is that it hasn't really done anything to encourage food waste prevention. So it has fostered maybe some donation to food redistribution organisations, but it's not really addressing the cause of the problem. What we end up seeing is retailers sort of shifting this waste and this, well, the surplus that eventually becomes waste onto charitable redistribution networks. And I think there's a risk that these charities do just become a kind of dumping ground. It becomes an alternative form of waste disposable for retailers. And it's tackling the symptoms of the problem rather than the causes and just allows supermarkets to shift that problem elsewhere in the supply chain. So in my preparations and in my research, I came across an interesting case study in South Korea that banned all food waste from landfills in 2005. And since then, they have also made separating food waste from the rest of the waste required by law. So one can actually get fined for not doing so. Especially the city of Seoul, which I hopefully improve pronouncing right here, started to require citizens to pay for their food waste by weight in 2013. It used to spend $600,000 a day on food waste. Now, the residents, they go to, say, a bin that they have to hold up a card at which is called an RFID card connected to their identity so they put it on the bin opens like a magic chest drawer they put their food waste in ta-da it's weighted and then they are being charged for the amount of food waste they drop in there yeah what's your viewpoint on this initiative so i haven't seen any peer-reviewed academic research on that but the kind of pay as you throw 
approach, I think is interesting. There are sort of pay-as-you-throw schemes in other countries outside of food waste, so just for waste generally. And there's some pretty good evidence to suggest that this is quite effective at reducing waste. There's a Swedish study that shows that a weight-based system for pay-as-you-throw for waste generally did improve recycling. But I think the fee would probably have to be high enough to encourage households to reflect on their behaviour. And the risk is that if you don't carefully calibrate that, if you make it too high, then it just incentivizes illegal disposal of food waste. So there's always a bit of a challenge in working out what the right approach is. And when you're asking me about kind of country-specific approaches, the local conditions and the attitudes of people in that jurisdiction will be quite important in determining whether a pay-as-you-throw scheme works. And effect in one country or effect in one town wouldn't necessarily be replicated in another. I would come back to this idea of kind of distributed responsibility for food waste. And is it necessarily consumers who should be footing the bill for this? I don't think it's just consumers who should be paying that. At the same time, especially in the UK, the amount of food waste per household is astronomically high and about half of food waste is actually caused by the households themselves. It's thrown away by the households. <laughs> It doesn't necessarily mean that that waste's caused by the household. It's quite important not to conflate the location of waste with its causes. So the reasons why people waste food, sometimes it's because, you know, they don't think about it and food's kind of cheap and waste is free. So the, the incentive structures aren't there. But there's actually a really big body of research that points to a really quite complex array of factors that drive household food waste. In the UK, a real challenge is the fact that People have to kind of go and do big shops in out-of-town retailers because local shopping regularly can be quite difficult. Supermarkets are quite good at getting us to buy more than we need. So overconsumption is incentivized. I don't think it's necessarily that households are the cause of household waste. Sometimes they are, but sometimes it's more complicated than just blaming individuals. Yeah, I think the psychological aspects that go into grocery store design, for example, are quite fascinating the way that aisles are set up. I recently definitely fell for some big psychological bias when I decided to grocery shop with a big cart. Or they only had big carts, there were no small carts in this massive store. And it's just so easy to just keep throwing yeah. things into this thing because it doesn't yeah. become any heavier and it's so <laughs> massive. It's so massive. It's interesting, you know, like the research on plate size, that the bigger the plate size, the more people eat without noticing. And the same thing, for example, for popcorn, they would give people stale popcorn in a cinema. And definitely like popcorn, you really don't love to eat that much that you just keep digging at it. They would give them different sizes of buckets. And the, the bigger the bucket, the more people would eat irrespectively of still not liking it. And the same thing with the shopping cart. I ended up, it's ridiculous, I ended up spending 120 euros on a solo shop. I haven't spent that much money on one grocery store entry I cannot remember when that was that I ever spent that much just for myself. And I came out and I'm like, my God, am I eating like an elephant or something? And I swore to myself, I'm not going to have any food waste from this. So, so far I've been keeping up. It's been six days. There's no food waste. But it, you've had to put in a lot of effort. 
not to prevent that food waste. And you sort of acknowledge that that the retailers do kind of control how we shop, where we shop, what we buy and in what quantities. That really speaks to why I don't think charging consumers for their waste is the solution. I would much rather see an extended producer responsibility system where everyone in the supply chain bears some of the cost. Because I think then you're likely to actually see changes in structures about how we organise our food system. Waste and overproduction is built into our food system. There's definitely a role to be played by hitting us as consumers, you know, hitting the demand side. And hopefully that sends signals up the supply chain. But I'm really keen to avoid approaches that overly individualise what is a systemic structural problem. And consumers have a role to play, but so do retailers and so do manufacturers and so do farmers. Yeah. Yeah. To me, the retailers seem like the bouncers of the food waste industry for listeners who have ever been to Berlin. It's like the retailers are the Berkheim bouncers. They are both the bouncers for the suppliers, but in a way they're super influential in being able to divert how much waste is connected to them up and down the supply chain, meaning that they can sort of shift it up by keeping all their contracts pretty loose and pretty flexible. Yes. And yeah. even like to wholesalers, let's say, that, and the wholesalers shift it to the farmers and down in terms of they can get rid of food waste by doing bigger discounts or sell it in bigger quantities free free yeah. for two and then people overbuy and then they don't eat the three kilos of carrots that they bought i always <laughs> like sometimes sometimes i see these packages with, with like two kilograms of carrots and i'm just like when how 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 can i eat that much carrots <laughs> Do you, like you actually become more orange when you eat carrots <laughs> it's, it's actually a fun fact it is connected to being more attractive because people with more like more like orange hue to their skin are generally considered to be more healthy so it would be in theory good for me to eat those two kilograms of carrots but i cannot make myself do that <laughs> yeah. no but you don't but you're but you're you're absolutely right and actually there could be lots of synergies around trying to reduce food waste and getting people to eat more fruit and veg there's ways to build climate health diet co-benefits and retailers are a really good leverage point there but i know what you mean about the carriage last week i was in a shop a national retailer the bulk ball apples were cheaper per apple than the unpackaged single option so it was not only encouraging me to buy more apples but it was encouraging me it was cheaper to buy the apples that were in the plastic single-use packaging. That's basic. Retailers have total control over that. So I, I agree with you. And, and we do see a whole load of retailer practices that drive waste in the supply chain and drive waste by us, by consumers, and force those other people to bear the costs of it. That's where kind of extended producer responsibility would come in, would be to force retailers to bear some of the costs of waste elsewhere in the supply chain for which they are at least partially responsible. Well, now to get to the ending questions, if you would have 50 million, in what businesses would you invest in? I have... <laughs> I looked at this and I thought, why is Marina asking me this? I have, I genuinely, I genuinely have no idea. I promise I did look at this and I did think, what am I going to answer? I don't know. I, I mean, it's a lot of money, but I think maybe I would invest in kind of 
small scale local producer led farming if i'm sticking to my research interests i think that's what i would invest it in yeah it's always very fascinating to me how different this uh, is answered by people from the tech space uh, the startup space versus academics and yeah so it's a uh, night and day in a way like the, the startup people are all like okay so here's my list <laughs> do this and this and this and a bit of that and obviously i would first first and foremost invest in my company but then <laughs> so i always be like so so just to to make it easy for them i always have to say but like not in not in your company because i know everybody knows you would invest in your company let's hope you would do it <laughs> otherwise why are you working for this company or why are you why are you founding this yeah so definitely a pattern um regarding food sustainability in agriculture what is an unusual opinion that you would hold that many people would disagree with yeah so i think many academics working in this area wouldn't disagree with me but i think people who don't know about it would i don't think consumers are to blame for food waste even though households in the uk throw away seven million tons of food waste a year I don't think it's necessarily their fault. And how can listeners connect with you? Email. I have a Twitter account, but I terminally forget that I have a Twitter account. So email. Yeah. And just like most academics, you're not very big into LinkedIn, right? So I have a LinkedIn account, but I don't think I've logged into it since 2018. So <laughs> yeah, email. <laughs> okay. So my request is just going to be there laying dust enough, <laughs> waiting to be seen. I'll go, I will go in, Marina, and just respond to your request. And then I will go on and continue to ignore LinkedIn for another three years. <laughs> I feel honored. <laughs> yeah, it was a pleasure to have you on Red to Green. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. I love, 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 love to hear from listeners. Let's connect. Find me on LinkedIn. My name is Marina Schmidt, M-A-R-I-N-A, -A, Marina and Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T. Or simply look for Red to Green on LinkedIn and you will find me. Until next time, let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.